I'd like to invite you with me on a journey back to May 17th, 2014. Imagine we're at the University of Texas at Austin for their graduation ceremony. Admiral William McRaven is giving the commencement address. After 37 years as a Navy SEAL, he's retired as a four-star admiral. His career has been a picture of achievement and success. And yet, as as we all sit around in the chairs and watch him give this speech to us and to the graduates, he gives the following simple charge. He says to the graduates, if you want to change the world, start by making your bed. His speech, and that line in particular, sort of went viral, led to worldwide speaking engagements. It led to his New York Times number one best-selling book titled, Make Your Bed. Maybe you'd expect him to say something deeper about leadership, something more profound about taking risks on the battlefield. Maybe you'd expect something about perseverance amid difficulty. But at the heart of Admiral McRaven's message is a core truth of life, that little things make big things happen. And we tend to fixate on the big things, don't we? We're drawn to the the huge outcomes and the results that we can see. But it's the little things that matter. It's the little things that lead to the big things. We could actually take a journey throughout time and various periods of history and see this same fundamental truth being expressed. You know, it was 400 years ago. The French mathematician Blaise Pascal said, small minds are concerned with the extraordinary. Great minds are concerned with the ordinary. Or 200 years ago, Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy said, everyone is concerned with changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. Or consider John Wooden, the greatest basketball coach of all time. At UCLA, his legendary teams won a record 88 consecutive games, seven consecutive national championships. This guy knew all about success at the highest level, and yet he took the first 30 minutes on the first day of practice every year for a surprising lesson. He wasn't teaching offense or shooting, ball handling, defense. No, none of those. First 30 minutes of practice every single year took the best recruits from all the nation and said, we're going to have a lesson on how to put your socks on. You see, across all time periods and all fields of study, the same lesson clearly emerges. Little things make big things happen. The fundamentals are actually fundamental to success and to growth. And this basic premise is at the core of our sermon series we're in right now, Rhythms of Renewal. As one year closes and a new one comes, There's all sorts of talk each year about resolutions and goal setting and becoming the new you and all this sort of stuff. But as Christians, we need our thinking to be grounded in God's word and what he says, not the latest cultural trends, right? So in this series, what our prayer is, is that you actually don't hear any new ideas. We hope to remind you of old things like like making your bed and putting your socks on, spiritually speaking, that we're quick to forget at times, and we overlook and think they aren't that important, but they actually are. We hope you hear old truths 
but in a fresh way. And by the power of the Holy Spirit and with his help, we hope that you'll begin some rhythms of renewal. Or maybe it's reestablishing old rhythms of renewal that were once vibrant in your life. And over time, they've just sort of slipped a little bit. And we recommit to those things. So if you were to take this December series and sort of put the whole series into a sentence, usually I'm giving you a sermon in a sentence, right? But the whole series in a sentence, it'd be simply this. True renewal is only found in Christ by his word and with his people. True renewal is found, only found in Christ by his word and with his people. And and last week, Pastor Chase Ringler was here and he he started the series off by helpfully reminding us that true renewal is only found in Christ. Christ who came to this earth, whom we celebrate, whom our kids just quoted verses about, saying songs about, who lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, died the death we should have died so that we could have a right relationship with God, so that our sins could be forgiven, so we could live with him in eternity. That's the only source of renewal. And if you've not asked him to forgive you of your sins, that's the very first step for you. This morning, you can do that. Say, Jesus, I see that you came to this earth Lived the perfect life, died the death I should have so that I can be forgiven. You repent, you turn from following yourself, turn, now I'm gonna follow Jesus and follow him, give your life to him. And this week, in Psalm 1, what we're gonna see is that while Christ is the source of renewal, daily investments in God's word bring the renewal in Christ. It's like the Bible is the vehicle that takes us to Jesus, So going back to the Bible, it's not that Bible knowledge for its own sake is the goal. No, certainly not. The goal is to see and to savor Christ in the pages of Scripture. It's to remember that little investments in the Bible lead to big things, like seeing the beauty of Christ and being changed by it. So what Psalm 1 does is it gives a pretty simple outline. It's not difficult to follow. It contrasts two paths to renewal. And renewal is maybe not a word that we use every single day in our vocabulary. But all we're really saying is here, there's there's multiple paths that you might see that you think will make you happy. Paths that you say, this path is going to make me feel alive. This path is going to make me into a better person. In a sense, all of these paths are pursuits towards renewal. And so when you look at it that way, you recognize that all of us, catch this, all of us are on a path to renewal. You're always pursuing something. The question that Psalm 1 would have us consider is, which path are you on, and are you on the right path? And Psalm 1 would say there's a, there are bankrupt paths to renewal. There's many of those, and there's only one blessed path to renewal. And so we'll just let that be our outline this morning. The bankrupt paths to renewal on the one hand, and the blessed path, singular, to renewal on the other hand. Our first point then being the bankrupt pursuits, the bankrupt paths of renewal. If you've got your copy of the Bible open, and I hope you do, if you closed it, I think the the pew uh, page was 448, keep those open. Look back at Psalm 1 and verse 1. Here's what we read, how the psalm, the entire book of Psalms opens. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. There's not blessing here. There is bankruptcy here if this happens. The psalmist says that pursuing the ways of the world is a bankrupt pursuit of renewal. And in Psalm 1, it's important that we see a trajectory being laid out. There's a progression. 
So it starts with saying, sitting in the counsel of the wicked. The idea here is you start thinking like the world. Then it moves to standing in the way of sinners, where I no longer just think like the world, I start to behave like the world. And then it says you sit, like you you plop yourself down. This is where I'm going to plant my flag, and you start to belong to the world. So there's a trajectory that we need to consider, that you start thinking like the world, and then you start to behave like the world. You continue, and then you're actually belonging to the world. I'm not going to spend a really long time on the trajectory, but it is important that we recognize the battle for our mind. It goes thinking to behaving to belonging. The battle starts in your mind. That's why Paul in Romans 12 would say, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. What's he say? But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It starts in your mind. I think it's important that we ask, why are these warnings laid out so clearly in Psalm 1 and around the scriptures? Why are these warnings actually necessary? I think warnings are necessary in general, and especially here in the Bible, because bad things can look like good things. And you have to be warned, no, that's not as good as it looks. It's like when you bake cookies. At at some point in time, everybody wants to reach right into the oven and grab them because they look so good. It looks like a really good thing. And a warm cookie is a good thing. But if you try and get it in your timing and in your way and instead of in the right way, it becomes really bankrupt in that pursuit of a good cookie. No longer very good. Right? And so so God's saying, like, look, these warnings are here for your good because I have good things planned for you. But if you try and get them in the way the world says and in the timing of the world, you're going to end up bankrupt in the pursuit of what I have that's actually good for you. Not to say the path of this world, it often sounds good, It often looks good. Sometimes it even smells good. But you have to be reminded that it's bankrupt. Maybe think of it this way. I remember one time when I uh, I was a kid, my mom made this soup. And I I love winter, like, soups and stews. It just kind of warms you up and doesn't really work on, like, 4th of July. That's that's not the right time. But in the winter, that stuff is awesome. Uh, And so my mom was making one of these. and, And we went to do something. I forget what, but we left the house. Left the burner on. Whoops. And we came back, and the whole thing was just burnt to a crisp. Soup turns into stew. Keeps cooking, turns into just this blackened paste. It's a wonder the whole house didn't burn down, honestly, because we got back, and the whole place just reeked. Burnt food, smoke. It was a mess. God was gracious that we got back 15 minutes earlier than we were supposed to, and we didn't have a major problem there. But whatever the case, it took weeks for the smell to finally clear out. Like you're opening the windows, it's 12 degrees outside, doesn't matter, have to get the smell out of here. You know what my parents never did in that situation? They never warned me not to eat the blackened paste. Why didn't they do that? Because it was obviously disgusting. Don't go near it. You don't have to tell me not to go near it. It's plainly obvious not to go near it. Guys, the thought patterns of this world are different. They're not like that. They look good. If they didn't look good, you wouldn't have to be warned about them. And so God graciously gives us warnings in his word to say, look at this might look good. It might smell good. You might think it's going to taste good. But it's going to leave you bankrupt. It's not going to be good. 
obviously, you know, in different eras, what this way of the world looks like and where it pushes back against what Scripture says it changes, doesn't it? You know, this century or that century, it's, it's a different kind of front burner issues. But at the end of the day, it's pushing back, saying God's word is not the source of our authority here. Today, we see this all over the place in, in sexual ethics and in gender identity and, and all sorts of ways where we start to wonder, should I actually stick to biblical teaching in this? Is that actually what we ought to do? And the answer is yes, we ought to. But what Psalm 1 does is it, it starts to paint a picture of if you don't, if you start to go the way of the world on these bankrupt pursuits, here's what's going to happen. We pick it up in verse 4 if you look back at your copy of God's word. Here's what the psalmist writes. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Drop down to the end of verse 6. The way of the wicked will perish. These are sharp words. Follow the pattern of the world, like the psalmist says, and you'll be tossed around like a pencil in a tornado. You'll be on the path to death. So don't hear these warnings this morning and assume they're for somebody else and quickly move on. Don't, don't do that. Because to follow the way of the world basically means that I trust my natural instincts. I think that I'm sufficient for all of life, or, and I've got the wisdom that I need, or I say, no, I have to go to God's word and find that. But it's an either-or kind of proposition. It's not a both-and. You know, the, the last, uh, last Monday, I was at the Colts game. Monday Night Football is a sad ending like most of our games were. But, uh, but one of the ad campaigns they had plastered all over Lucas Oil Stadium said, uh, said this, said, you are enough. You are enough. You're sufficient. It's the way of the world saying, you've got this. Or you turn on the TV and there's those Burger King ads. It crowns the consumer as king. What's it say at the very end of the Burger King commercial? You rule. You're in charge. You go back all through all kinds of pop culture stuff, you know, play a different generation here, but 1988 song from Roxette, Listen to Your Heart. Listen to yourself. You go over and over. You can find these things wherever you want. Or you could just go back to the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes, and it turned out terribly for everyone. Right? There's nothing new under the sun. So the way of the world is saying, trust your natural instincts. You're sufficient. You're the wise one. You can do this. And when you go the way of the world, it almost always leads to one of two conclusions. On the one hand, you end up naively going with the flow, or you become a hardened cynic. Tends to be one of the two. So when you naively go with the flow, you end up losing the capacity for convictional truth. Just kind of blown along with the chaff, whatever happens, and I can't plant my flag and say, no, this is what God says. And of course, I mentioned this a second ago. This is where we see our world with sexual ethics on all fronts. In the church, outside the church, people have lost the capacity for convictional truth. There's a failure to speak truth when it's unpopular, out of fear of what may come of it. But it's not just a, a broader cultural thing, too, because in the church we have respectable sins, where we fail to speak convictional truth into that matter as well, where we fail to speak the truth when it's unpopular, where we fail to tell each other, you're entering into the space of gossip here, you need to stop, to say, 
brother, you're concerned about all these issues in the world, but when's the last time you actually told someone about Jesus, invited them to church? Do you even know any unbelievers? And we won't speak truth to each other in those ways, but we'll rail against what the culture's doing. You won't say, man, who are you actually discipling? Who are you investing in spiritually? You see, the, night, the gospel cuts both ways. Right? It's, it's easy to punch really hard against somebody else's sins and somebody else's tribe and then coddle your own sins and your own tribe and say, well, it's not the time to you know, put our stake in the ground here. So you know, going the way of the world leads us to naively just kind of go with the flow and whatever's happening, we just let things be. But on the other hand, you might become a hardened cynic. And you've seen this happen before. You go the way of the world and it's, you lose your capacity for forgiveness and for grace. You hear somebody say, all Christians, all churches, they're just these hypocritical, politically driven, money-obsessive institutions. That's all it is. There's none out there. And certainly some of those exist. Not denying that for a second. But certainly the Lord is doing amazing things through his people amid their faults, through his churches amid their faults. It's a hospital for sinners here, not a museum for saints. But in the church, this also happens. When we lose hope in the gospel's power to change lives. See, I've, I've seen this type before. I know how they are. Yeah, have you seen the gospel break through before? You see how that's becoming a hardened cynic within the walls of the church in a similar way. And it's easy to rail against how a skeptic does it, but we start to let those same things creep into our life. I mean, if you know somebody who's walked away from Christianity, you can most likely see one of these responses in them. They've either gone with the flow or they've become this hardened cynic. Or maybe in some ways they've actually done both. But rather than thinking of somebody else who walked away, here's what I want you to do. Do you think about yourself? Do you feel one of these impulses or both of them in yourself? Because most of us, left to our own devices, we end up trending to one of those two directions. Like, hey, we kind of got to go with the cultural winds or we end up becoming kind of hardened and a little bitter and a little crusty against the world. Which one of those are you susceptible to? Are you allowing those thoughts to take root in your heart? Remember the trajectory. You start to think like the world and then you start to behave like the world, and then you start to belong to the world. And so you have to fight the battle for your mind and your thoughts. And what the psalmist tells us is the path of the world where you trust yourself, whether you're going with the flow or becoming a cynic, it looks good. It feels wise. It feels like you're the insightful one who has a corner on the market and you figured things out. But it's a fool's errand. It doesn't lead to life or to joy or to peace, or to the other fruits of the Spirit. Fortunately, the psalmist doesn't just give us the problem, though. He says, yes, here's the bankrupt pursuits of renewal, but it's not just the problem, here's the solution. There is one blessed, blessed pursuit of renewal. Let's take a look there at our second point, then, the blessed pursuit of renewal. Starting again in verse one of Psalm one. First four words, blessed is the man. Blessed. This word blessed, it could be translated happy or joyful is the man. We see it 26 times throughout the Psalter. And in Jesus' first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, 
the Greek version of this same word is what opens the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed. So clearly, God's intention for his people is that they would find true renewal, true joy, true happiness, true blessedness. Very first word in the whole book of Psalms, numerous times throughout the Psalms, very first word in Jesus' public teaching. This is what God designed for you and desires of you. A blessed life, a joy-filled life. Not a life where your circumstances are always perfect, but one where you do have joy in every circumstance. And how is this supposed to happen, you say? Justin, you're a young man. You've not lived through the things I've lived through. Okay, well, take it on God's authority, not on my own, please. And look at verse two. Here's what it says. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What's the path? God's prescription, the drug he calls into the pharmacy for you for true renewal, true joy, true happiness is that you would delight in and meditate on the word of God. That you would boldly and confidently say, I don't have all the answers, but I know the book that does. And I'm sure not the Messiah, but I know this book will take me straight to him. And I'm gonna stick to it and I'm gonna dive deep into it. And then the psalmist says, here's what that path is going to look like. Yes, here's the prescription, but here's the results. Here's what's going to come. And we look back at verse three of Psalm 1 for this. We read, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Boy, who wouldn't want to be described like that? I'm anchored, deep roots, prosper in all that happens. I'm bearing fruit in season. The prophet Jeremiah in chapter 17 has almost an identical phrasing here just to point out the significance of this. This is what God desires for you. It's what he's designed for the Christian life. Here's what Jeremiah 17 and verse seven says. I think it's on the screen. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And he's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Isn't that interesting, the the similarity of the language there? Here's the point. You can be tossed around like dust in the wind, and lots of people are, or you can be rooted like trees next to a, a river. And the imagery there is so rich, you don't hardly have to describe it, do you? You think about a river you know, a creek you know. You see in your mind's eye right now the trees up around it. The hard frost doesn't concern them in the least. Their roots are deep. You know they'll be there strong in the spring. There's no concern. And in the summer, when it gets super hot out, when the sun is beating down and the grass is crispy brown and it hurts your feet to walk on it, those trees are still in bloom because they have roots that have gone deep in the water, the only source for them to stay alive. Now notice this, though. Deep roots don't mean that droughts never come. You catch that? Both of those passages, Psalm 1, Jeremiah 17, they don't deny that the drought comes. No, no. They don't say that life is always rosy, 
But what they do is they point you ahead to a future that's better, where there's hope. They give you a remembrance of something that's better than the, the blazing summer sun that's so hot or the, the bitter cold in the winter. And it says they bear their fruit in season. Now you think about the, the life cycle of a, of a tree. I, I love the imagery that we have for this series. That you see the rhythms of renewal there. The spring, the summer, the fall, into the winter. You start with the buds. That's one kind of fruit. And then the green leaves turning to yellow, orange, red, all kinds in the fall. And then actually, no leaves. And it's instructive for us as Christians to recognize in different seasons of our life, there's going to be different kinds of fruit that's borne out. In season, you're bearing fruit. So there may be a season where you say, man, God is opening up incredible doors for evangelism right now. And I'm just spending as much time as I can with unbelievers. And I'm telling them who Jesus is. And I'm bringing somebody new to church every single week. Or you know what? God's really been impressing on me the fruits of the Spirit. I've got a difficult boss right now. Things in the family are not great. But somehow the Lord is strengthening me. And he's sustaining me. And I have joy in the midst of difficulty. And I'm bearing fruit in that way. And it looks different because you're bearing fruit in all seasons. Or in a different season, you say, man, the Lord is just growing me in my generosity. And I want to serve more. And I want to give more. And I want to see what God's doing around the world. Different kinds of fruit in different seasons. But it's easy for us, and catch me, this is important that you hear this. It's easy for us to think, well, I'm not in the evangelism season now and I'm not really in the fruit of the season fruit of the spirit season now and I'm not really in the generosity I'm not in the generosity season either and you have to ask are you in season ever I don't yeah I, I don't mean that really as a joke I mean that to say you may not be a Christian you could go through all the motions and we're not saying it has to be May 15th where everything's perfectly green all the time But if it's been 25 years since you were bearing fruit in any way you can tell me about, guys, you've got to look back in and say, have I actually found renewal in Christ? Is he my savior? Have I been born again? Am I a Christian? The idea, as Paul would write in Romans 15.4, is that whatever circumstances come our way, here's what he would say in Romans 15.4, that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Through endurance, I keep pressing on. I don't give up. I've got other Christians that I'm I'm laboring with, and they help me keep moving. And through the encouragement of the scriptures, together I might have hope to see something better coming. And at every life stage, it means we have to evaluate, am I allowing the light of scripture to shine into my heart? Because maybe I did that at one point in time. And then I've kind of moved on to something else, and I've gotten away from that. And of course, we're going to want the light of Scripture to influence all arenas of life. Right? You want the light of Scripture to influence yourself, your family, certainly the government, our schools, the whole thing. Right? We, we want all of that. But it's really easy to start thinking about how the light of Scripture should influence somebody else's life, or somebody else's family, or somebody else's government, or somebody else's school, and not be so concerned with, am I today allowing the light of scripture to shine its light into my heart. 
Jesus in Mark 8 would ask, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And we might ask ourselves, what does it profit a man if he gets the whole American government to think biblically about marriage, but doesn't allow the light of scripture to shine into his own soul? And what does it profit a man if he gets the whole school board to think biblically about gender identity, but does not allow the light of scripture to shine into his own soul? So before we think about somebody else that needs this rhythm of renewal, we would be wise to pause and consider our own lives. Or maybe we would just slightly modify the, wor the words of Admiral William McRaven and say, if you want to change the world, start by making your own bed. And infinitely more importantly, start by dwelling deeply in the scriptures yourself. So how does this happen? How do I get rooted in the scriptures so that I have roots going down like these trees by the, by the river? How do I allow the scriptures to shine their light and their warmth into my life? It's through daily rhythms, of getting into the word of God. And let me give you an example. In the morning, one of my morning routines is I get up and we've got this, uh, this sliding door window that faces the east. So I get up and I open it up and uh, of course, it's, you know, it's pitch black right now. It's almost, sun's almost up by noon. Um, but in the summer, the thing's already up. But I, 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 over the course of the day, the light starts to come in there. And as soon as I open it up, I go and I start the coffee. And I'll just sit for a few minutes as the sun starts to rise and its light starts to pour in. And the warmth of the coffee starts to warm me up. And the caffeine starts to kind of give life to myself. And I just sit in it. Isn't that sort of how the word of God works? You get up in the morning, and just like you want to be awoken to the world around you, you need to spiritually be reawoken to the truth of who God is and who you are as his created being. And one of his followers, I pray. And allow his word to shine the light into your heart. And allow it to take you back to Jesus, who warms your heart with his love. And you prayerfully depend on the Holy Spirit to be much stronger than that drug of caffeine, to give life to your soul. To see, Jesus, I know you've created good deeds for me to do today. Ephesians 2.10, help me to see what they are. So practically speaking, how do I pull back the curtains, start the coffee, start to sip on it, and allow scripture to give life to everything I'm doing? Let me give you five ways to be renewed by God's word. Five ways to be renewed by God's word. And before I get into any of them, it's important that you recognize right at the outset these are not for someone else, these are for you. And they will require time, they will require energy, they will requ require intentionality. You must be purposeful this morning in making a change. Because you have to recognize the movies you watch, the shows you watch, they're shaping you. TikTok, it's shaping you. The novels you read, they're shaping you. The friends you hang out with, they're shaping you. So you've got to be intentional in saying, what am I going to cut out and how am, I, how am I going to dwell deeply in the scriptures so that they will actually change me? And so my challenge to you is this. There's five ways to be renewed by God's word. I just want you to pick one. So kids, teenagers in the room, here's what I want you to do. As you're taking notes, I want you to circle the one. You say, I'm going to do this today. Not waiting to the new year, not doing the whole resolution thing. I'm starting today, December 4th. And adults, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do the exact same thing, actually. Just circle one of them. <laughs> You're not above that. 
Okay, circle the one. I'm doing that today. I'm going to start on that today. Okay, here's the, here's the first one. Let's get to it. Recognize your dependence on the Spirit. Recognize your dependence on the Spirit is a critical way to be renewed by God's Word because Jesus said to the Pharisees, you don't know the Scriptures or the power of God. These are dudes who had memorized, many of them, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So before you think it's more Bible intake you need, it's dependence on the spirit you need no matter how much Bible intake you have. And 1 Corinthians 2 is super clear that yes, you engage your brain to try to understand what God's word says, but you only come to true spiritual comprehension through the work of the spirit. And so maybe the, the rhythm of renewal for you starting today, December 4th, 2022, is I open my time in God's word every day with a confession of saying, Lord, I've not been depending on your spirit for truth as I come to the word. I'm actually coming depending on myself. And I didn't realize that the spirit of the world was living in me and my thinking that I was sufficient and I could do this on my own, but I'm actually not walking by the spirit as I read the Bible. So you start there, you have to recognize your dependence on the spirit. The second way to be renewed by God's word is to think about deep scripture intake. What do I mean by that? Well, if you want an image, think about digging a hole for a tree in your yard. It's hard work to dig a hole for those trees, right? You're gonna dig and sometimes you hit the topsoil and you, you, know, you pull out like four inches of dirt and it's really easy. But other times you hit a root or a rock it takes a while to, to get a hole that's dug, you know, 24 inches deep and 24 inches across. Like, this is hard work. I'm not covering the whole yard, not getting through the whole Bible right now, but I'm gonna do it deep in God's word. So maybe you're doing that through a memorization project. You say, there's a chapter of the Bible that I'm gonna memorize. I'm gonna memorize Psalm 1. I recognize I need to be renewed by God's word. I'm gonna memorize Romans 8 and be reminded of God's love for me. And I'm gonna take a while to do that and I'm gonna dwell deeply there and it's good to, to go deep into God's word. You know, this is what we do in our Bible Institute. Maybe this is your takeaway. January 8th, we're starting the book of Matthew and Bible Institute, and you say, you know what? It is a little busy in our lives right now, but I need to be there for that. Sunday night, starting in January, I'm gonna be at Bible Institute and, and study the, the Gospel of Matthew. Maybe you write out the scriptures. Have you ever done that? That's the first thing I do when I start to prepare a sermon. I write out the passage by hand. And it's amazing what I see when I slow down and write the words myself. I find I'm skimming in my reading all the time, and I don't even mean to. Maybe that's a step for you to take. There's all kinds of study methods you can get to, but you think, oh, I need to this year and this month go deeper into the scriptures. Here's a third way you can be renewed by God's word. Think about a wide scripture intake. So if deep scripture intake is like digging a hole for a tree, this is like getting a leaf rake and you're raking the whole yard. You cover a lot of ground, you cover it pretty quickly. You're not finding out the soil composition at every corner of the yard. You're sweeping those leaves across and you're finding as you move quickly through it, like, oh, there's a low spot over there. Didn't know that before. Oh, there's that little, that little rock over there. I'd forgot about that one. And you move quickly through the whole thing. So here's where maybe you're gonna say, I wanna read through the Bible in a year. And instead of getting behind in January, just start today so that you've got a three-week head start. So when you get to Leviticus, <laughs> you don't have to give up. Like, nobody said you have to start that thing in January. Like, that's not extra spiritual to do it that way. Like, just start today on those plans. They're always out there on the internet. You know, I had a friend in college. He said, 
I don't know that I want to read the whole Bible this year, but what he would do is every so often he'd get together with a couple of friends and they'd just read an entire book of the Bible out loud. Now you try and read the Psalms, you know, you better go on vacation for that one. But, um, but if you get together and say, hey, let's carve out two hours, nobody thinks twice about going to a game, watching a movie, hanging out. What if we read the book of Romans together out loud? Take a wide scope. And I don't know if we're going to talk about it. We're certainly not going to figure out all the stuff Paul talks about in there. But we're going to move through this together. One of the things Pastor Casey's been working on, I'm so excited for this wide scripture intake, is a church-wide subscription to the Dwell app that reads the Bible out loud to you. And it's got all these playlists that have to do with, you know, different seasons in your life. If you're, you're dealing with this difficulty, you're fighting against this sin, or you need, need encouragement in this way. I started listening to it this week, and I just want to tell you, it was remarkable for me to listen to that for 10 minutes on the way home, how it changed my frame of mind when I got home. I entered back into family life, just to have God's word, not going super deep, no explanation, just one verse into the next, a wider scripture intake. Now, in announcements, I mentioned the whole discipleship pathway thing, and there's the link you're supposed to fill out. You're going to get an email from him this afternoon that has that discipleship pathway link, you can fill out the assessment, and as soon as you finish it, you get the link to the Dwell app. Yes, we did build it that way to try and get you to fill out the assessment, but you should do that. Maybe that's your takeaway is like, hey, it's only going to take me five minutes, and this is a way that as a church, we think about a wide scripture intake. It's really important to do that. Here's the fourth one. Keep ourselves moving here. I want you to sing scripture out loud. Now, you know that if a pastor with the musical capabilities or lack thereof of me can stand up and say this, that you can actually try this at home. And I'm mostly thinking of younger families with kids here, but there's no reason it needs to be restricted to that. Some of you, you know, Bruce, Joanne, Crum, you guys can just start playing the piano and the words come out just right and you make it work. The rest of us have no clue what to do. So look up slugs and bugs, slugs and bugs on YouTube, and they've got these great little two-minute songs that help you sing scripture. Or here's the other one, Seeds Family Worship. Slugs and Bugs, Seeds Family Worship. And here's what I encourage you to do. Just alternate before you eat dinner, one day pray, the next day turn on YouTube and play the song and sing it together. And start singing scripture aloud so that the habit of your home is renewal by God's word. And when you walk through the house, when you go out to work, when you go to, to Walmart or to Aldi, it's just scripture that's pulsing through your veins. Here's the fifth one. Pray scripture aloud. Pray scripture aloud. So if I'm reviewing these, we're going to recognize our dependence on the spirit. We're going to think about, do I need to go deeper in a section of scripture right now or maybe a little wider? And then in regular rhythms, I'm seeking to sing scripture and pray it out loud. Now, I'm going to warn you, if you haven't done this before, and you start to pray Bible verses out loud, you're gonna feel a little goofy at the beginning. I definitely felt that way. Like, don't be, don't be weirded out by that. It's gonna feel a little strange. I get that. But stick with it. Helps you stay focused to pray it out loud. So you don't get so sidetracked. And, and you recognize that prayer changes things. And most significantly, here's what prayer changes. It changes you. Changes your heart to be more like Jesus, to be aligned with the things that He cares about. So maybe you're going to turn to Colossians 2. Say, I'm going to pray a prayer of gratitude. I'm just going to take the words of Colossians 2:14. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us, against us with its legal demands. 
This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus, thank you that you took that record of debt that stood against me. You nailed it to the cross with all its legal demands, and you set it aside. So the guilt and the shame that I'm facing, I know has been canceled by your death on the cross. Jesus, thank you. Maybe you're going to take a prayer of asking God to act. So you're going to be here in Colossians 2. You just flip over to Colossians 4. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3, where Paul writes, Pray for us. Pray for us what? That God may open to us a door to declare the mystery of Christ. God, I pray for my friend Bill in my Sunday school class. I pray you would open a door that he could boldly proclaim the mystery of Christ to his neighbor Joe. I pray for me, God, that you would open a door that I may boldly proclaim the mystery of Christ to my coworker, Susan. And you pray by name for people, the words of scripture. And it changes your heart and the things you think about, the things you're drawn to by praying scripture. Yes, God works and changes things. He changes you. Maybe you say, Justin, I'm not ready to ask God to do something yet. Life has been really hard. It's a difficult season. And so you're going to turn over to Romans 8 and verse 32, and you're going to pray a prayer of adoration. Where it says, he who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us all things? God, I see all kinds of things I wish I had right now, but I know on the basis of your son and his shed blood on the cross that you love me and will never stop loving me. You will always be with me. You will always be for me. It's hard right now. Thank you that you love me, and I know that on the basis of the cross. You see, what ends up happening is you pray the words of Scripture out loud, it actually leads you straight back to the Word Himself, Jesus Christ. What did the kids recite this morning? John 1:14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't stay in heaven. He didn't send an automated text message with instructions for life. He came and dwelt among us among us. And as you dwell deeply in the pages of scripture, your heart will be transformed, as 2 Corinthians 3 would say, from one degree of glory to another. Praying the scriptures takes us to Jesus, to his work on the cross, to the gospel. Friends, this is the only path to true renewal. It's not a new idea this morning, certainly not a complex sermon in any form or fashion. But just as Admiral McRaven reminded the graduates to make their bed, so Christians must be reminded to seek Christ in the pages of Scripture. Let's pray.